welcome listeners to another episode of Discourse from the Religious Studies Project. My name is Chris Cotter, and you won't have heard very much from me of late. Um, you know, I did start this thing with David Robertson um, back in 2012, but you've been hearing from our exemplary managing editors, um, Dave McConaughey and Brianne Fallon of late. So just in case you don't know who I am, uh, I'm Chris co-editor-in-chief of the RSP, and uh, currently um, lecturer in religious studies at, at the University of Chester. And tomorrow, when this goes out, I'll be starting a, a, a short research fellowship at the Institute for the Advanced Studies in Humanities at the University of Edinburgh. So lots of news going on there. But enough about me. Um, today, I'm joined by uh, Theo Wildcroft and uh, Ray Kim. So, uh, Theo, um, you're a regular um, on these. Um, but who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done a, I've done a couple. I think I, 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 you know, it's one of those things when you're when you can do a podcast, people keep asking you back. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm a, uh, I'm a kind of post uh, PhD uh, independent scholar. Really, um, my research looks at the democratization of yoga post post lineage and the many different ways that yoga communities of practice are evolving um it's kind of live kind of contemporary research really um i'm a founding member of altac uk i'm a visiting fellow at the open university and i'm project coordinator for the soas center of yoga studies um and other things besides i think those are the main ones yeah, and and a generally good egg. Um, yeah. Oh, and I've got a book. I've got a book. I should do. I should do. Yeah, you really should. Didn't you? <laughs> I've got a book came out this week uh, called Post Lineage Yoga from Guru to Me Too with Equinox. So, um, and it's not too uh, crazily priced, so you can actually buy it. Yeah, that is one of the beauties of Equinox. Not mm. only are they um, a leading publisher in the sort of um, critically engaged study of religion but mm-hmm. um, nicely priced so yeah. big thumbs up to them and uh ray kim um so theo and, and i are recording um in the uk um y- you are not and uh, you are new you are new to the rsp so welcome yes, um, what's new. your story well thanks for having me um i'm currently based in seoul korea right now out here for a fellowship through seoul national university but I would normally be in Washington, D.C. because I'm a Ph.D. candidate at Georgetown University. And I've been working on for the last few years, I guess, halal in Korea, but more specifically using discourse analysis to flesh out a couple of things. One being why is halal an Islamic category right? that has to do with dietary restrictions and things like that? How did it become a hot button issue in Korea? And two, what happens to religious categories when they go through secularization and globalization and become part and parcel of, right, like bigger industrial marketing networks? Um, And so, yeah, those are the two main focuses of my research project right now. Nice. Yeah. And, um, Definitely sounding like uh, once you've uh, finished the the write up process, which I know is is <laughs> where you're um, stuck in just now. Um, uh, maybe uh, an RSP podcast uh, would mm. be in the offing. It's, it's what awesome. an honor so, that would be! Oh yeah, it's it's a big honor. It's a big honor. People people pay lots of money. For <laughs> um, so um, of course uh, we're going to have to talk you. Know, 
how long are we going to have to keep kicking off these episodes with talking about COVID? But we're going to do it again. Um, but we promised listeners, I think I promised the last time that I hosted one that we wouldn't talk about COVID for the entire episode. And we basically did. We're not going to today. Okay. That is a promise. Um, so I just wanted to, to kick off, um, with, uh, a, covid um reflection from from certainly from the uk context so it's just been announced in the last couple of days that um uh covid restrictions are are going to be eased um for everyone across the uk for a a five-day period um over um the the christmas period and uh, three households are are going to be allowed to, to to meet to enjoy the christmas celebrations now um somewhat unsurprisingly this has uh, met with a, a variety of uh reactions um obviously lots of people are very really <clears throat> pleased that this is going to happen and who knows uh, i presume the the um national governments within the uk decided that if they didn't allow people to to do this that people would do it anyway so it's perhaps better to um make a decision and try and restrict things a little bit than just allow people to do whatever they want. But of course it's met with um, some uh, angry reactions from um, both from uh, adherents of non-Christian traditions, from uh, popular media pundits, and indeed from, from many perhaps on the the sort of more um, lefty socialist side of things, pointing out that, um, Restrictions weren't eased um, for um, people who wanted to celebrate um, Eid or um, Diwali or um, various um, Jewish festivals that have happened um, over the last couple of months as well. So uh, people um, perhaps even accusing, in one article that I'll link to here, accusing the government of uh, institutional racism in the sense of uh, you know privileging uh, one religious community uh, over others. So I just wanted to, to table this because there's a lot going on here. I think from my perspective, it's not whether, um, because I wouldn't really consider Christmas um, a religious festival in the sense of it being anything to do with Christianity, particularly in a UK context. However, it is religious in the sense of look at how unquestioned this, there was no particular, there was no way that this festival could go past without people being allowed to gather together in each other's homes and watch Toy Story and eat too much turkey. Mm. Um, It's so normative in a UK context that it, it, even a pandemic can't get in the way of it that we've had to celebrate all these other religious festivals. Yeah. We've had birthdays, we've had graduations, we've had everything happening within yeah. lockdown, but um, this thing is non-negotiable. And I right. think that's what make, brings it into the, the religion category for me. And that's my pitch. What, what's your... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting. You, you know, you're saying that a lot of people are pleased because, um, uh, I think obviously it depends on your own kind of um, echo chambers with regards to kind of social media and media of all kinds. But um, I'm seeing a, a lot of debate about this and a lot of pushing backwards and forwards, um, um, not just on the kind of religious kind of, you know, this should have happened for other communities, mm. but a lot more people saying that 
why? Like, why do we want five days for the virus to run around unchecked um, yeah. or, you know, much less checked than it is already when we can just uh, put our heads down um, and, and, and keep going? And I'm aware also that there's a, I'm aware of a couple of things here. First of all, I think for a supposedly populist government, um, this government's really good at getting the national mood wrong in so many ways, um, <laughs> as it's proven with kind of free, free school meals for kids and, and, and things like that. And I think that's kind of fascinating. So they kind of try and like judge the national mood over and over again. Um, and the idea mm. that that is more important than, than, than the kind of the evidence um, is, is interesting in and of itself. But I am also yeah. really aware of for how many yeah. people this is an absolute privilege to be able to do this, regardless of what your kind of cultural background is. Uh, lots and lots of people have to postpone their Christmases to because they work shifts or because they you know work in essential services or just you know when I when I was growing up. Um, my parents didn't live together, so uh, we had Christmas. Um, we had Christmas, you know, one Christmas with one part of the family and then New Year's with the other part of the family, you know. And yeah. So many of us have to make compromises around when our Christmases happen, right? Yeah, um, that, that's, a, that's a great point in that, that there's been, you know, things about all the difficult decisions that large families are going to have to make. And it, it's sort of ignoring mm. the fact that, well, yeah. many families have to make difficult decisions every single year, you know, particularly, yes. you know, think about uh, family, uh, children of, uh, yeah. you know, separated parents, for example, mm. that's a difficult mm. decision mm. every year. And that's a family that's never perhaps going to all be together but it's just mm. assumed that the norm is uh, everyone in britain will want to gather together uh, yeah. on this particular day and we therefore just have to let it happen mm. um mm. It's and i think also step, isn't it it's, i think it's kind of out of step with a lot of realities i mean where i rem i know that when i was saying it i i was I, it would just left me a little confused I, <laughs> I, I, i'm not sure which three households i would want to meet with you know, I really, you know, they, my father's like over in France, you know, I've got, you know, there's just, you couldn't, families just can be so disparate these days anyway. Um, who, who would you want to, I don't know. And my house isn't big enough. <laughs> the housing crisis means that many of us are living yeah. in tiny spaces. I couldn't get three households in my house if I tried, you know. Um, yeah. And it's less of a big deal, I think, in the States, right, from from what I know. Like Christmas is a big thing, but not in that sense that you have to have yep. well, two, three days just off. Had, Thanksgiving just had happened, Thanksgiving, and then course. the Supreme Court yeah. ruling just recently mm, where five to four, um, the court sided with religious groups who were um, challenging Governor Cuomo, uh, Governor of New York's rulings of uh, restricting um, congregations meeting and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of carries over into what I guess people could right. argue religious gatherings, right? Christmas, you know, packaging it as a religious gathering. Mm -hmm. Although for most Americans, I would argue it, it, it's, it's just a time to spend time with family. <laughs> like the Christmas symbology might be there, right? But it's, it's pretty superficial. Mm -hmm. And so. <laughs> Indeed, but you know we could argue that that makes it perhaps more pervasive and more powerful as a sort of a hegemonic cultural practice is that it is it's separated yeah. from let's say the Christian 
um, mm. tradition, but it, it's so unquestioned in many contexts. And Every it's that unquestioned right. status. Yeah. Some might use the term sacred. Um, it, I would, in a Durkheimian way, perhaps. I mean, that's, that's what it reminded sense, me of when you were saying but, um, that, you know, how it, the meaningfulness yeah. of Christmas is no longer attached directly mm. to the Christian tradition, right, broadly, but it is more attached to these kind of uh, non-religious, mm. almost secular kind of values, right? Like family, um, s- spending time with loved ones, mm. gift giving, mm. right? And there's like a whole ritual around gift giving um, <laughs> in Christmas. And so, uh. yeah, it, it, it's very interesting to see it in that lens, in a Dracaimian lens of, you know, at least in the UK and, and perhaps even, you know, you could yeah. say about the US as well, um, that it's not so much about Christianity, you know, being the the main issue here, but but then again, you know, mm. like it, it, because the privileging of Christmas as a Christian <laughs> holiday is also problematic, right? Like how you know, I think the the article that the respondents from Muslims and Buddhists mm-hmm. and Sikhs, you know, mm. about how their holiday went completely ignored, and somehow we have to save Christmas seems very arbitrary um, and discriminatory. Mm. I think I think actually there's also something particularly in the UK uh, the, the, there's a cultural thing mm. that's actually much, uh, much more to do with labor relations than anything else that that Christmas and, and maybe that's why it's particularly sacrosanct given where we are mm. because it's a holiday it's it's time off right it's time mm. off from work and it, and, it, and it's time to relax and 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 you know get you know uh, eat good food and these kinds yeah. of things. And when you're being positioned in a, in a kind of political landscape yeah. as we are, that's very much focused on austerity, you know, you have to go to work. Uh, I mean, I know that when the, the, the second lockdown was announced, there were a lot of memes in the UK around, uh, around the fact that, um, <laughs> you know, everyone was still expected to go to work, but you couldn't go to the pub and you couldn't do this and you yeah. couldn't do that and you couldn't do this. Yeah. It was like, no fun, only work. So there's that, it's almost that feeling like we've, we've all been good and we've kept our heads down and we've, and we've worked hard and we can get, you know, we can get, we can get two days off to, um, drink and eat with our families. So, um, mm. I think there's also that echo of those kind of almost Victorian labor relations going on. Absolutely. You know? Um, yeah, you can have a hangover, um, without having to worry about having to go to the, the, uh, to, yeah. your home office yeah, um, yeah, yeah. a few hours later. Yeah. Um, we're just uh, uh we could probably talk about this for the entire um mm-hmm. episode um but on a related issue um but we'll, we'll she'll take us away from covid yeah. though, um mm. um there's a lot of talk about vaccines at the moment um and you know we're all hoping that something is going to, to come of that talk but but ray's uh, highlighted uh, some discussions happening within um some of the muslim community about yeah and th- this is just a bit of news that I, I i got a hold mm. of as i'm doing like my research here in korea but you know southeast asia it, it holds the ho- biggest number of muslim population um indonesia malaysia um there's a good number of um, Muslim majority countries in that region. And for many people living there, uh, it is a concern whether these vaccines, you know, for, for, for COVID are going to be halal certified. Um, and this is a very modern phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. A very recent kind of concern that a question of 
vaccines being halal because it, this ties into technological capabilities. We just didn't have the technology to um, get to the micro molecular level to test for pork DNA in so many things until in the last couple of decades. And so, you know, this Muslims have lived with vaccines for, you know, for centuries, but like, this is a very modern issue, a recent issue. <laughs> um, and it, and, 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 and it's, it, it brings up some interesting yeah. questions for me about, you know, like who, who, you know, who gets to decide, right. Who's, who are these certifying bodies uh, how much trust is there in these certifying bodies? I mean, there there's so many. I mean, there's like a parallel anti-vaxxer movement in the U.S. Um, that that questions the FDA and so on and so forth. And I wonder if we're going to see similar things, you know, happening in some of these Muslim majority countries. Um, and then the question of like, well, halal as a Islamic kind of legal jurisprudential kind of process has always elevated individual subjective discernment, uh, whether that's uh, at the discernment of the judge, the discernment of the religious leader, or the discernment of the individual Muslim consumer. Um, but now with technoscience kind of standardizing everything, that, that discernment element is almost kind of being slowly removed, where things are labeled a certain thing, and then it is what it is, right? as if it's reified as halal when halal actually is much more fluid than that. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what I bring to the table today. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Thanks Ray. Um, Theo, do you have any immediate reactions? <laughs> I know it's interesting, isn't it? Cause it's, um, I, I think it, it, it brings up lots of kind of big, big themes doesn't it big themes around um like you say you know who who gets to be community leaders who gets to be the authority on this um uh and also of course you know in 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 our yeah. few minutes of prep we were already starting to talk about bodily autonomy in general here that um um what's so, so okay. So, there's a question of trust, like who gets to be authority. There's a question of trust in the state. Like, does the state have how much reach does the state have to um, impose mm -hmm. the public good, which is partly everything that we're talking around mm. at COVID. You know, so many of those conversations come down to that, um, and then how that inter interlinks with kind of more community level or individual level concerns and uh, priorities. Yeah. You know. Um, that's the issue with vaccines, right? The the whole herd immunity mm. thing means that you know eighty percent of mm. people or ninety percent of people, depending on the vaccine, need to have it. So, right. who gets to opt out, and what are the reasons for opting out uh, that are valid? Right? Exactly, and um, yeah, what gets entertained? Um, <clears throat> mm. um, but um, yeah, I, I really like the point that you raised there, Ray. Also about how um, you know due to technological developments we, we now you know have products and um other yeah. things being labeled as definitively this is halal or this is not mm. um in a way that wouldn't necessarily have happened in the past which you know i, I know my my knowledge of um sort of islamic jurisprudence <laughs> is is a little old and uh was never that in depth anyway but um my my understanding is yeah. you know, a lot of thing a lot of decisions are are based on on pragmatism 
Mm-hmm. You know, like like yeah. you know whether you can participate in the the, yeah. the Ramadan fast. You know, it's not just everyone yeah. has to do this. It's you know, do you have mm-hmm. the means to do it? Do you have the health to do this? So um, there'll be questions about whether the pandemic is considered enough of a reason to mm-hmm. consume something that is um, not halal. First mm-hmm. of all, mm-hmm. and then there's questions of of you know how much it came up in the article that you circulated, <laughs> right? Right. How much animal product is is enough to to, mm. to make it um, haram? Um, you know, if if it's been so divorced from, um, let's say, from pork, um, that it's now you know basically right. on a sort of slight DNA level, does, is that enough, or does does it have to yeah. still have yeah, something yeah. about yeah. it that makes it porky, <laughs> that makes it or whatever you know? Or it's, um, or, and sometimes it's about it's about the right. it's about whether I think it's about right. whether reasonable efforts have been made. Um, mm. So I know that when the uh, like when we had the new there was mm. there was a whole scandal about new banknotes coming out here in the UK that uh, in which the coating for them involved wow. a certain amount of uh, yeah. some kind yeah, of beef yeah. product. I think it was maybe gelatin. It was a collagen, um, and I mean right. the amount was tiny. It was it was incredibly tiny, but I think what really um offended the 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 hindu community here in the uk was the fact that nobody had considered that that might be an issue Mm. to someone you know it it was like there wasn't an attempt wasn't made to remove that from 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 the manufacturing process rather than the fact that there was a whole cow had to die every time a note was made and and that's Um, the thing like it's (laughs) there there is a there is a um i guess a way of it, it, within Islamic jurisprudence, um, there is a concept where, especially when trying to figure out what's halal and what's not, um, if there is not just um, due effort was mm-hmm. due, but then if the if the product or the element or whatever is has been transformed enough to not resemble something right it, that it originally was right, but when we're talking about having the capability mm-hmm. to get to the molecular level and point and say like regardless of how transformed this gelatin is that it doesn't resemble in taste, feel, color, smell, or anything of mm-hmm. pork, mm-hmm. but someone can still point to the DNA and say like, yeah, but this is mm. still pork. Right. And, and that's the debate, which the Muslim community is is still mm. having to decide. Um, and, and d- different schools of thought have different ways mm. of prioritizing, mm. um, you know, whether the, ge- whether that gelatin specifically, you know, has gone yeah. through enough of a transformation to no longer qualify as a porcine product, regardless of whether it has trace elements of pork DNA in it. And and this is this is going to continue, I think, with technological innovation yeah. as it, you know, the intersection of technology and yeah, religion. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it, yeah. Isn't it also to a certain extent about knowledge? Because isn't, right. isn't it also to a certain extent about knowledge in the I mean, I'm going to give I'm going to give a like a, a, a slightly different example here, but um, uh, you know we've been vegetarian on and off for for many years in this house, and uh, for a long time, right. um, you wouldn't necessarily get the labeling on food that allowed you to tell yeah. whether something was vegetarian. And it's precisely when they label it to say, 
actually this has uh, this has yeah. uh, this thing in it that it then it starts to become an issue because until that point you have to be pragmatic and uh, you mm. know my husband uh, was a vegetarian many years ago and he uh. his joke is um, you never look at the Very ingredients true. on a packet of chocolate biscuits because, yeah. because you know right. because at a certain point right. they started to say animal fats rather than just fats and at that point it was like and, and I know yeah. we went through a phase of we'd allow gelatin but if as soon as it started to say what animal like pork gelatin or beef gelatin that yeah. was visceral yeah. enough to go okay no i can't buy that and, and, and i can't buy that because yeah. i know what animal it's come from um you know so yeah, the I'm labeling a, can make it harder weirdly right yeah yeah I'm a, I'm a don't ask don't tell vegetarian <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. that sense yeah. Yeah. the moment the moment i find out that something is yes. uh, not allowed then that means i can't have it so yeah. i'd rather not know um yeah. So uh, we're we're getting into you know so Theo brought up mm. bodily autonomy there and and that that whole um, machine in, in race story circulated around that so um, Theo's got a, a an, an interesting story for us in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I actually kind of strayed a little bit outside the kind of news side of things into a, a Guardian long read, um, which. Um, I think uh, possibly like a lot of people at the moment, there's a, there's a pace of news that's kind of quite exhausting. So it's quite nice to turn to something that's a little more thoughtful, that's based on kind of a long term observation of a phenomenon, which is kind of interesting. And, and this is a very specifically uh, a very actually very unusual case of a guy called Jake Handel who um, had locked in syndrome. Now, locked in syndrome is very rare, but essentially um, you're uh, aware so you're conscious, fully conscious in his case, but unable to kind of move or, or, or on his own. So he kind of uh, appears to be in some kind of coma. Um, mm. And of course, this is, uh, I think this is a, a, a fear perhaps uh, that, or a fascination that many of us have that what would it be like to be aware mm. of the world and aware of all of your inner processes and yet not be able to do anything, not to be able to have any autonomy in effect. So lived-in syndrome is very rare and recovery from it is even rarer. And his uh, situation was kind of quite specific in that he had a an overdose that kind of gave him brain damage in a particular way. Um, but the, the thing that got me thinking about it is the kind of pull quote uh, on The Guardian from it was talking sp- specifically about uh, the fact that uh, they had the radio on in his room when he was in the hospital. Um, and every morning, I think between 5 and 7 a.m., uh, televangelists would come on. I think it's the radio or the TV. But anyway, there he is lying, listening <laughs> to these televangelists. Um, and he talks about them kind of essentially demanding money from him and uh, doing the whole full kind of you know fire and brimstone thing every morning. And this drove him absolutely nuts. Um, and I, it's just that really interesting idea, first of all, <laughs> of religion being imposed upon you, which is kind of an interesting thing in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But also there's some kind of link here between that and his, he puts his recovery down to a process mm. of will, uh, willpower alone. That's what, that's what he says. Um, and there's this kind of sense that it's the televangelists in a way kind of drove him to get better because he needed to get the hell out of that hospital room so he didn't have to listen <clears> to them anymore. Um, and I just think there's a lot of really lovely felt themes uh, and issues there uh, we can take out of this really unusual case, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and it, it shows that evangelism... Uh, <laughs> got to give credit where it's due, perhaps. perhaps. We'll never sure. know. We'll never yeah. know if televangelists were actually effective uh-huh. in, the, in this regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> um, oh, yeah. there was one thing I wanted to say, which actually isn't. It's it's just if you, unless you read mm. the whole article, you won't spot it. Um, he did a Reddit <laughs> AMA at one point, and his username is Miracle Man. Like, there's mm. a real close link to kind of this idea of miraculous healing and what miraculous healing is. Um, uh, yeah, in these cases. Yeah. But I mean, e- even in there. Um, obviously, the, the syndrome in itself is is horrific, yeah. and the description mm. of it as as hell. I mean, mm. um, it does tie into you know a lot of people's imaginaries about that. like it, it's remove like what is the self? Um, mm. You know, the, mm. we we think about the self as lots of people mm. are quite happy with the notion that the self is not perhaps the body; it, it's something beyond that. But to have the body effectively completely taken away from you and to be you know, oh see and yeah, see because this is my this is my wheelhouse as you know so i'm gonna have yeah. to interject that and point out his sensory awareness of the body is not has not been removed in yeah. fact he has you know oh, he has gosh. incredibly that difficult sensations terrible. to deal with sensations of burning oh. sensations of pressure and, and so forth make what's it even removed, worse yeah what's what's yeah. removed what's yeah. removed is his agency over the body yeah not mm. his sense of the body. The body isn't lost. He's not floating like a brain in a tank. Terrifying. The body is still there and he can't mm. escape that. So it's it's the loss of agency rather than the loss of the body. Um, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's what I was driving at, but yeah. uh, <laughs> um, you nuanced it better. But yeah, it, it's but that loss of agency um, mm. for many of us, particularly uh, I guess um in in our contemporary context where the, the 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 individual and individual agency is what is reified mm. in, in mm. many mm. cultures as being the be all and end all so that like that mm. in and mm. of itself is perhaps the epitome of hell um mm. and for someone to have to live through that um but then be able to come out the other side in in a sense and and share their experience of hell mm. is quite profound I think it differs for different people though. I think it's important to remember that from the point of view of disability studies that there's there's mm-hmm. you know, we all tend we tend to say, Oh, I would hate that to have that particular condition or disability or whatever, but you know, people live long and meaningful lives with all sorts of conditions right. and all sorts of lack of, of agency in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, you know, so it was hell for him, right? Yes. <laughs> That's possibly exactly. important to point out. Um Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the yeah. the point about how his whole willpower and the sure. question you pose about the role of uh, you know if you might want to call it faith mm. or just sheer willpower to create physiological mm. effects you know like we'll never know if it was his willpower that you know led to his um, recovery mm. but but it would be interesting I mean and then it reminds me of studies where you know the, the, the Dalai Lama like con- consented to you know like neurologists putting like probes and stuff on you know him as well as like his his followers you know as they meditated to kind of measure right the the physical neurological effects that meditation could have and so I mean, it, this is just what reminds me of like kind of again technology and science and te- I guess technology being used mm. to measure things that I guess, religious folks would say are immeasurable things right <laughs> there's yeah there's an even there's an even closer example with kind of you know way back oh, yeah. uh, i think about 50 60 years ago now swami rama mm-hmm. was measured um doing deep relaxation work um and his brain waves were consistent with somebody who was in deep delta sleep 
uh, which is profound sleep, but he was aware of everything going on in the room. But it's also, I think it's always important to remember that when they say his brainwaves were consistent with someone who was, like those measures of consistency, mm. like those measures in of themselves are very normative. Mm-hmm. Right? Science, says, science is based on the majority. The reason why Jake Handel's case is miraculous is because yeah. we don't have that many people who have locked in the syndrome. Yes. We actually don't know the factors that allow you to recover. Um, Swami Rama, long-term meditators, yeah. Dalai Lai Lama, and so on and so forth, they are unusual people. They are outside of the norm, and therefore, um, to expect mm. uh, kind of a science that's based on the majority to 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 fit them within yeah. that it's uh, framework data, is yes. always going to be always going to be difficult i think yeah 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 and uh, all of these um stories um whilst we wouldn't want to to remove the 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 agency in the sense of <clears throat> how they are put into words um by the individuals involved it all demonstrates as well first of all that you know that science in and of itself is mm. you know there's there's there is no narrative mm. and that the, the narratives that are used to 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 explain and um cope with and justify and so mm. on are, are they're the narratives that, that we have out there yes. in the world um and we can only describe things through existing paradigms and through things that people are going to yes be able to relate to and so on mm, um, absolutely absolutely Right. Um, well, um, I think what I would like um, very quickly, uh, sort of uh, in a in the UK, um, we we had uh, on um, ITN News at ten, uh, Trevor, Trevor McDonald, uh, the host, did a and finally kind of thing uh, where there was a, a slightly lighter story uh, at the end, mm-hmm. but um, but there was always a point to it at the same mm. time. So in a sort of, and finally uh, to the <laughs> end of uh, this discourse episode, um, Theo, you, you, um, you know, you're telling tale of a, a, an unlucky stone. In, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a fantastic little piece. I'm so I'm going to, I'm going to give the details very briefly. We'll, we'll put the, the links in the show notes, but the, uh, the story is that in 2009 in Ireland, um, uh, there's a, a, a farmer who's farming a land that has a Neolithic standing stone in it, uh, which is kind of, you know, a Bronze Age uh, kind of a standing stone, basically. And on that, against that stone, there's a bull that likes to rub itself. And um, it starts to kind of get the, the ground around it starts to get eroded. And the standing stone is at risk of no longer standing, right? So uh, the, the farmer involved uh, contacts the Irish Mo- National Monument <laughs> Service and other people um, but they don't seem to be interested in this single standing stone which is about to fall over um, but eventually you know the stone fell over um, and in the decade that follows uh, yeah. life has become very difficult for farmers in Ireland as, as for many places in terms of climate change and other uncontrollable issues and the farmer thinks that maybe there's bad luck um, that's uh, that may be attributed to this falling stone. Now, he can't get the Irish National Monument Service to, to kind of put the stone back up. So what he does is he enlists the aids of 
aid of two druids from the grove of Anu in County Kerry, uh, who were part of the uh, the Obod uh, order of, of bards, obits, and druids, who you know I I, I know well, and they'll turn up for anything. Um, and together they uh, decide to reinstate the stone with a little uh, a, a bulldozer and a and a and a, and a druidic ceremony um, to kind of place this stone back with kind of good intentions in its original location and positions uh, to clear any kind of bad luck in the area. And now, of course, as is the way of things now, the Irish National Monument Service is very annoyed because you can let a stone fall down, but you're not allowed to put it back up, Um, which I think is rather lovely um, uh, and says a lot about... um, there are lots of kind of cute things we can talk about here in terms of what our conceptions of luck and bad luck might be, but also what considers an, mm-hmm. what's considered an official body when it comes to something like standing stones, which is an ongoing issue for many, many, many Neolithic ha- monuments. Has their think. luck turned, though, Absolutely. since that? <laughs> well, okay. suggest not, given 2020. <laughs> Uh, well, um, as we enter into the oh, the geez. final month mm. of 2020, uh, hopefully we can yeah, but, yeah. behind us. Put them all back up. There are there are yeah. there are many many Neolithic monuments which have been bulldozed and moved, and and the kind of standing stones which are now the base of churches and all sorts of things across the UK and uh, probably across the yes, world in many ways. Yes, Let's yeah. put them we all. We need back all the help up, we can get right now. Reinstate yes. them all and uh, see yeah. if that if if that helps us. Absolutely, why not? Yeah, might as well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ray Kim and Theo Craft. We will sign off there and thank have you. a good uh, December, listeners. The RSP is sponsored by the BASR, NAASR, and the IAHR and is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation. Find out more at religiousstudiesproject.com. Brought to you by editors Brianne Fallon and David McConaughey, and founding editors Chris Cotter, that's me, and David Robertson, that's the other guy. Our features are edited by Rebecca Barrett-Fox and Lauren Osborne, and our opportunities digest by Ella Bach. Audio editing by Alex Matthews, podcast transcription by Andy Alexander and Savannah Finver, and social media managed by Ray Radford and Candice Mixon. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our Amazon affiliate links or donating at patreon.com backslash project RS. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes and other portals. Thanks for listening. <laughs>